Today we're reading from a sack full of books, some about Christmas, which is nearly here, whoop whoop, and others that are just plain funny. Here we go with the first story. It's a very different Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's called The Three Bears Sort Of and written by New Zealand author Yvonne Morrison. Once upon a time, there were three bears, and they lived... What kind? Huh? What kind of bears? Grizzly bears, some bears, spectacle bears, polar bears, um, the last one. And they lived in the woods. Polar bears don't live in the woods, they live in the Arctic. Well, what lives in the woods? Grizzly bears, or black bears... Okay, then, there were three grizzly bears, and they lived in the woods in a cottage. In a cottage? How did three bears come to live in a cottage? They live in caves. Um, it was an abandoned cottage. They found it. They thought it would be nicer than a cave. Anyway, there was a mummy bear, a daddy bear, and a wee little baby bear. What was the daddy doing there? Huh? Well, daddy bears don't usually live with mummy bears. Mummy bears raise their cubs alone. This was a special daddy bear who wanted to stay with his family. Anyway, one day, mummy bear was cooking some porridge for breakfast and... Porridge? Where did she get the oats? Um, there was a barrel of oats left in the kitchen of the abandoned cottage. Anyway, she put the pot on the stove and... How did she pick up the pot? She doesn't have any thumbs. And why is she cooking it? Wouldn't bears just eat the oats raw? Or well, better yet, go out to catch some salmon? And why is the stove working? Wouldn't the power be off in an abandoned cottage? She picked up the pot using both paws together. And Baby Bear is allergic to fish, so no salmon for him. And the cottage has only just been abandoned, so the power hasn't been switched off yet. Okay? Anyway, she cooked the porridge and poured it out into three bowls, and Daddy Bear and Baby Bear came to breakfast. Daddy Bear tasted his porridge, and it was too hot, so they decided to go out for a walk so it could cool down. Why didn't he just add some milk? Or blow on it. It didn't occur to him. He's a bear. Anyway, the three bears went out for a walk. And while they were gone, a little girl called Goldilocks came to the cottage, walked in and found the three bowls of porridge. She was very hungry, so she picked up a spoon and tried Daddy Bear's bowl. But it was too hot. Still too hot. Yes, still too hot. So she tried Mummy Bear's porridge, but that was too cold. What? Yes, and then she tried Baby Bear's porridge, and it was just right. So she ate it all up. Hang on a minute. Are you telling me that three bowls of porridge poured at exactly the same time can be too hot, too cold, and just right? How does that work? Um... Well, let me think. 
Okay, suppose Mummy's bowl was really shallow and wide, so there was a big surface area. It would cool down quickly. And maybe Daddy's bowl was narrow and deep, so the porridge stayed hot. And Baby's bowl was in the middle. That would work, right? Mm, actually, it would. Go on. Phew, okay. Goldilocks wanted to sit down, so she sat on Daddy Bear's chair, but it was too hard. Then she sat on Mummy Bear's chair, but it was too soft. So she sat on Baby Bear's chair, but it broke underneath her. What? Are you saying this chair could support the weight of a baby grizzly bear? Probably about 60 kilos, but not the weight of a 30 kilogram girl? Come on! Well, Baby Bear was a really little baby. Anyway, Goldilocks then decided she wanted a nap. She went up the stairs and found a bedroom with three beds in it. She tried Daddy Bear's bed, but it was too hard. She tried Mummy Bear's bed, but it was too soft. Then she tried Baby Bear's bed, and it was just right. Ugh, what about the smell? What smell? Well, I reckon if a bear had slept in the bed, it would be a bit pongy. Well, she didn't notice. She fell asleep. Anyway, the bears came back. Daddy Bear picked up his bowl and said, Someone's been eating my porridge. In English? What? Did he say it in English? No, he said it in bear talk. It sounded like, Ra, ra, ra. Then Mummy Bear picked up her bowl and said, in bear talk, before you ask, Someone's been eating my porridge. Then Baby Bear picked up his bowl and said, Someone's been eating my porridge, and it's all gone. He could talk then. Yes, I just said. They talked. Bear talk. Ra, ra, ra. No, I mean, he was old enough to talk? That means he wasn't a really little baby, like you said. So how come he didn't break the chair before the girl did? He was little, but very smart. Smart enough to talk bear talk. Anyway, then they went through to the living room and Daddy Bear said, Someone's been sitting in my chair and... How did he know? She'd moved the cushions. Then Mummy Bear said, Someone's been sitting in my chair. And, before you ask, her cushions were moved too. Then Baby Bear said, Someone's been sitting in my chair and they broke it. Hmm, I'm surprised they didn't notice that first. I mean, I would have. I'd notice a broken chair before I'd notice some messed up cushions. So, then they decided to go up to bed. Daddy Bear said, Someone's been sleeping in my bed. What did that sound like? Ra, ra, ra. Oh, same as the porridge then. Then Mummy Bear said, Someone's been sleeping in my bed. Did they not notice the little blonde girl? Shh, I'm getting to it. Anyway, then Baby Bear says, Someone's been sleeping in my bed, and she's still here, and he whipped off the covers. 
Goldilocks sat up and screamed. Then she jumped out of bed and ran down the stairs and out the front door. Huh, that wasn't very clever. She should have backed away slowly. What did they do when they caught her? She went so fast they couldn't catch her. Oh, yeah, right. Grizzly bears can run it up to 50 kilometres an hour. They would have caught her for sure. Well, they didn't. Anyway, that's the end of the story. Oh, will you tell me another one? Hope you liked Yvonne's story. Here comes the weird nana. It's about an older brother scaring his sister. Maybe some of you listening have a brother like this one. It's not a bedtime story. There's a little warning on the front cover. For Stella Ross's older brother, Simon, there was no better fun than scaring his sister. Sometimes it was shouting, Boo! when she least expected it. Sometimes it was putting a spider on her plate. But Simon's favourite way to frighten his sister was to tell her a scary story. Today, Stella Ross was frightened. Her nana Lupin was flying in from a faraway country and Stella Ross's family was going to the airport to pick her up. Stella Ross had never met nana Lupin before, but she knew her voice sounded horribly hollow and hard to understand when she spoke on the phone. And she knew Nana Lupin looked scary in the big black coat she wore in all her photos. Stella Rosa did not want to meet spooky old Nana Lupin. Stella Rosa already felt nervous, so she did not ignore her brother as she should have when he sat close to her in the car and began to speak into her ear. She has whiskers, Simon said as they pulled out of the driveway. They scratch your skin when she hugs you. She has long, sharp fingernails, he said as they drove along the motorway. Like claws, they dig into you when she pulls you close. And don't think for one minute she'll be arriving on a plane. She rides a witch's broom that she borrows from her witch friends. She's a wernanna he whispered. Just like a werewolf, she gives you a big sloppy nana kiss and, instead of turning into a wolf, you turn into a wicked were-nana, just like her. Of course, Simon had never met Nana Lupin either, but that was not important. What mattered was having fun. Did you take the special potion before you left home? Simon asked as they turned onto the airport road. I took mine. She can kiss me all she likes. I don't want to meet Nana Lupin, Stella Rosa cried. She's a werewolf in disguise. Don't be silly, Stella Rosa. Who told you that? said her mother. Stella Rosa couldn't help but look at her brother. I never, ever called her a werewolf, Simon said. He made a growly wolf face at his sister. I said she's like a werewolf, he whispered. Stella Rossa said nothing. They had arrived. 
The airport building loomed over her like Dracula's castle with its control tower turret and its thousand empty eye windows looking down on her. Stella Rossa shivered. Not all of those windows are empty, Simon whispered in his sister's ear. Nana's witchy friends are up there. They've been waiting for you. They can smell when you haven't had the potion. They'll be letting Nana know. Stella Rosa shuddered. Once inside the bustling terminal, Stella Rosa wished she were invisible. She didn't want to meet Nana Lupin with her hairy chin and her long fingernails and her witch's broom, and Stella Rosa definitely didn't want to be a were Nana herself. Stella Rosa's father raised his arm and waved it high above the crowd. There she was, Nana Lupin, wide in her black wool coat with a dark scarf tied around her head. She strode towards them. Oh, how Stella Rosa wished she smelt a potion. Why hadn't her mum given her some? Stella Rosa watched as Nana Lupin first kissed Stella Rosa's father, then her mother, and then Simon. There was no one else between Stella Rosa and her Nana. Simon winked at his sister. It was Stella Rosa's turn. Nana Lupin sniffed. She's been talking to her witch friends, Simon whispered to Stella Rosa. She's smelling you. She can't wait to kiss you. Nana Lupin reached out for Stella Rosa. No! screamed Stella Rosa. Stella Rosa! Pray your manners! her mother cried. She's a woo Nana, Stella Rose sobbed, like a woo wolf. Her friends are witches, and she has a hairy face and claws on her hands. One kiss, and I'll turn into a woo-nana, just like her. Suddenly, Stella Rosa gasped. Nana Lupin was peeling off her coat, like a wolf shedding its skin. She took off her scarf and shook out her hair. Oh, Nana, she said. You're lovely. Of course I am, my little one, Nana Lupin said, pulling Stella Rosa into a big hug. And I'm definitely not a woo, Nana, she said. Wherever did you get that idea? Simon told me. It was just a story, Simon said, smiling wickedly. You should be careful about the stories you tell. Nana Lupin said, turning to Simon. She leaned down to whisper in his ear. After all, she murmured, you were right about my friends being witches and they saved their most horrible spells to use on bad brothers. My goodness, Simon was a meanie, wasn't he? Nana Lupin had the last laugh, though. Now we'll share three verses from a book called Sticky Ends by Jean Willis. In every hilarious tale, the character meets the stickiest of ends. Okay. The first wee one's called 
my uncle's wedding. My uncle married a monkey. We called her Aunt Baboon. We all went to their wedding in the merry month of June. The bridesmaid was a gibbon. The page boy was a goat. The best man a gorilla who got Grandpa by the throat. The vicar was a rhino, and this was a mistake. He charged the congregation, and he tossed the wedding cake. The guests behaved like animals and trashed the hotel room. But, sad to say, the worst behaved was Uncle George, the groom. The next we one is called Speckless Rex. Do any of you wear spectacles? You might identify with this one. Oh, hear the tale of Feckless Rex, who would not wear his reading specs. Despite the fact he couldn't tell D from G or I from L and mixed his Q's with P's and O's, though they were inches from his nose. Despite the fact he chose the frames from hundreds of designer names, the most expensive he could find, his mother said she didn't mind if Rex would wear them without fuss and never leave them on the bus. He promised... Ah, uh, but feckless Rex just liked to watch her signing checks on his behalf and feeling clever vowed to never wear them, ever. Stamped on them, and with a grin, he threw them in the nearest bin whilst on the way to catch the train to school and waited in the rain. A train arrived at Rex Station, and he read the destination on the front and climbed aboard. But dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh Lord, of course... He hadn't read it right, and I'm afraid, to Rex's fright, the train was not School Express. He had mistaken G for S, and several other letters too. He had confused the C and O, O. Now, had he worn his specs, the fool he would have read that it said Ghoul, not School Express, which would explain why all the people on the train were ghosts and skeletons and hags and zombies dressed in filthy rags and as the train went underground it just went round and round and round and round the everlasting track. Alas, there was no going back and feckless Rex missed all his glasses. So be warned and wear your glasses. Oops, oh, there was one more in there, a little Christmassy one I was going to read. Where is it? It's called Never Give a Crocodile for Christmas. Never give a crocodile for Christmas. Crocodiles are such a funny shape. They're really hard to wrap. They wriggle, bite and snap, no matter how much string you use, they're certain to escape. Never give a crocodile for Christmas. It's a crazy, crackers thing to do. He'll hide behind the tree, and I'm certain he will chew on Father Christmas when he clambers down the flue. Never give a crocodile for Christmas. He'll gobble up the turkey off your plate. He'll swallow every dish, the pudding and the wish, and leave you with the parsnips and the sprouts you really hate. Never give a crocodile for Christmas. Get your folks some chocolates or socks, or how about a game? You'll only get the blame if your darling little cousins are consumed by hungry crocs. Never give a crocodile for Christmas. Take it back and swap it straight away. Perhaps a pet iguana, 
though I think that our Piranha would be perfect for your sister in the bath on Christmas Day. So all of those characters meet sticky ends, don't they? Well, we'll finish off, finally, with one of my favourite Christmas stories. It's called The Christmas Caravan by Jennifer Beck. Simon and his mother lived in a caravan park on the outskirts of town. Some of the townspeople said the park was untidy and should be closed down. But for Simon and his mother, it was better than the big block of flats they had lived in before. We're so lucky to have this place, his mother would say. The caravan may be small, but it's great to have our own home. One hot December afternoon, Simon happened to see a competition entry form in the local newspaper. Look, Mum, he said, we could enter this Christmas competition for the best decorated house. The prize is a holiday at the beach, staying at a motel. You always say you wish we could have a holiday by the sea. His mother hesitated. That's true, she said, and I think it's a great idea. The problem is... I can't afford to buy fancy Christmas ornaments or strings of coloured lights. Simon thought for a while. Then his face brightened. We'll make our own decorations, he said. With a bag in each hand, Simon hunted around the caravan park, collecting junk. He brought several loads back to the caravan, hosed them clean in the yard, and sorted the different items into piles. Now we need a can opener. And scissors, he said to his mother. Together they threaded cans of many colours onto lengths of string. They turned the plastic bottles into bells and used them to decorate the outside of the caravan. Then they stood back to admire their work. Simon looked thoughtful. It's beautiful, he said, but it doesn't look Christmassy enough. I think we need one thing more. He straightened out some crumpled sheets of tinfoil and made a big silver star. His mother hung it from the aerial on the caravan roof. That's just what was missing, she said. A map in the local newspaper showed the addresses of all the entries in the competition. As Christmas drew near, crowds of people came out at night to marvel at the many houses festooned with twinkling coloured lights. There were scenes of Santa Claus with his sleigh and reindeer prancing high across rooftops. Richly decorated Christmas trees stood in front windows, surrounded by piles of presents. Although their address was listed with the others in the newspaper, no one from the town came to look at the decorated caravan. Some of their neighbours in the park just stared and whispered to one another, but others told Simon the caravan looked as colourful as a Christmas card. However, everyone agreed that the park looked a lot tidier now, that the rubbish had been picked up. They said they'd try to keep it that way. The mayor and two of his councillors were judging the competition. On the night they were going to choose the winner, Simon waited all evening for the judges to arrive. They did not come. Perhaps they got lost, his mother said, as she comforted him 
and tucked him into his bed. Next morning, she telephoned the mayor. Our caravan was on the address list, she told him. Couldn't you find it? Well, uh, mm, that wasn't exactly the problem, replied the mayor. There were so many magnificently decorated houses to choose from. It was getting late, and, after all, a caravan isn't really a house. This caravan is our home, Simon's mother replied, and it was my son's idea to decorate it. He's very disappointed that you and the other judges didn't come to see it. That evening, a shiny black car drove slowly into the caravan park. Simon jumped up and down with excitement as the mayor and councillors stared at the decorated caravan. The councillors mumbled words like, Mmm, very different, mmm, most unusual. The mayor asked Simon about the decorations and listened carefully as he explained about making them. Then the mayor talked with the councillors and they looked for a long time at the silver star that hung above the caravan. Finally, the mayor cleared his throat and said, We have already chosen the best decorated house. That was decided last night. But we think your caravan deserves a special award. I have a friend who runs a camping ground by the beach. How would you like to stay there for a week at my expense? In your caravan? Simon was so excited when the time came to go on holiday that he didn't even mind taking down the decorations. He put them in the new recycling bins that had been replaced in each corner of the caravan park. The neighbours in the park had a collection and bought Simon a buoy board. The councillors gave gifts of beach towels and sunscreen. Everyone cheered and waved as Simon and his mother set off on their journey to the beach with the caravan towed behind the mayoral car. They had a wonderful holiday, surfing and swimming and enjoying the sunshine. Simon's mother said it really was a dream come true. I wish we didn't have to leave, Simon said when the week was nearly over. He loved the beach and had made some new friends who went to the local school. His mother smiled. Well, I've been offered a job at the beach store. If we want to, we can stay here for as long as we like. They sent a letter to the mayor to thank him and tell him their good news. In time, the caravan became too small for Simon and his mother and they moved into a cottage beside the store. They kept the caravan on the front lawn for when friends from town came to stay. Every Christmas... Simon decorated it with seashells, adding more and more each year. And the funny thing was, people came to look at it all year long. It looks very pretty. It's a shame you guys can't see the picture of the caravan. But hey, you should be feeling very Christmassy after all that. There's heaps of Christmassy books, activities, cards, wrapping paper at Books and Co. in Old Tacky. Jackie's got the wee shop bursting, so head up to the main road through Old Tacky and start your shopping. Goodbye and happy reading.
This program is made with assistance from New Zealand on air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand on air.